Go ahead and pull out your Bibles this morning. If, uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's one under the seat that you're sitting in, and you can read it, you can keep it, and apparently someone saw me before church, one time I said you can use it as a placemat. So, I don't know, I mean, I guess you could do that. Just get it in your home, you know, if you don't have one, right, 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 Adam? Adam will come and find you if you don't, no, I'm kidding. So, uh, if you need a Bible, there's one right there, and uh, actually, somebody last week, they are like, yeah, I'm going to take it because I've got a friend who needs it, and I thought, you should preach next week. Uh, and then I was like, nah, no, I'm just kidding. John 12, I'm rambling. Here we go. John 12, turn, turn your Bibles to John 12 while you're turning there. I'm going to adjust this. I adjusted it before the service and thought I liked it. Ah, and then I don't. You guys ready to hear from God? Good. John 12, happy Palm Sunday. I don't even think we've said that in church yet today. Happy Palm Sunday. Um, if you're new to church and you're like, what's a Palm Sunday? Don't even really worry about it. We'll talk about it as we go, and you're, you're not out of place. <laughs> Palm Sunday. Just like you guys. I'm just being so awkward right now, but I'm so happy. I'm like so happy. This is so fun that we get to do this. <sighs> All right. We are uh, going to be continuing our sermon series that we started a couple weeks ago. You open to John 12? We're going to read that right now. I forgot to read that first. I'm on a roll already. John 12, can you get to verse 12 in John chapter 12? Awesome. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Touch your neighbor and say, Jesus is coming. So they took branches of palm trees, Palm Sunday for the new folks. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat on it, just as it is written. These verses quote a prophecy about Jesus hundreds of years before he ever came. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming. Say, your king is coming. Your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb raised him from the dead. Uh, did I read that right? Then the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. Would you go see him, see that person who raised somebody from the dead? Would you, would, is that worth the price of admission just to get a look at this guy? So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Let it be, Lord. Let it be. Let the whole world go after Jesus. We'll start here. No, we're not the only ones. I know. I'm just kidding. John 12, Palm Sunday. So we've been doing this series that uh, we're calling, Where Do We Go From Here? As we're leading up to Easter, which is next week, we're talking about the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. The last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how this isn't just some uh, fantasy that Christians believe in so that we can do church on Sundays. This is actually an event with a lot of historical evidence that points to it. And as an event that happened to a real person who claimed to be the Son of God, who said how he would die, said he would raise from the dead, and then did it, it demands the question, wow, where do we go from here? When we face an empty tomb of that man, the question must be asked, where do we go from here? How do we respond to this? How do we respond to this? And so we've been talking about the resurrection, and today on Palm Sunday, uh, we're going to talk about kind of the week before the resurrection, 
And uh, we're going to be talking about this story that I just read in John chapter 12. That's our text for this morning. And I want to expand on a thought for, with Palm Sunday that I kind of, uh, I, I said this last week, just sort of uh, said this as a comment, but I want to expand on it this morning. It's the title for our message, part three of where do we go from here? It's a little long, which you can write at the top of your notes. If you don't have notes, let your neighbor just give you the elbow. It'll be good. It's just like you said, but not what I expected. It's just like you said, but not what I expected. So John 12, we read about Jesus riding in on a donkey. Even if you're not from church, you've probably uh, caught wind of this story before. It's kind of a famous story about this man, Jesus. And, and I just want to say, like, I'm thankful that we live in a church, in a, in a Christian culture where, like, you being here on Sunday mornings is pretty normal. Like, no one's going to look at you super crazy tomorrow at work when they find out you went to church and be like, what's church? And I'm glad that that's normal for us. I, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that church is normal. I'm thankful that in this season, in this month of April, like, Easter is really normal, and even, even even though plenty of things happen around Easter that maybe don't have to do with the resurrection, like they're happening because it started of us celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Like it's kind of cool that that's the cultural norm to celebrate this thing. Even when people don't believe in it, they're still kind of having their lives orient around this. Like I think that's cool. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that this story as a part of the Easter story, pretty normal. Most people have heard about this. This isn't catching anybody off guard, even if you're kind of new to the Bible. But, and, and I'm thankful for that. But, but a danger that we have is when things become normal. Things aren't bad when they're normal. Like, that's good when things are normal, especially when good things are normal. Amen? Right? Like, normal's not bad. Uh, but, but something that can happen when something becomes normal is that we can become a little familiar and we can kind of disconnect from something that in itself is so amazing. But when it gets familiar, we can sort of unplug from it. And it just becomes part of the routine. And that's nobody's fault, I guess. It just kind of is what it is. But this is a danger that we have being 2,000 years separated from this event in John chapter 12. This amazing story gets reduced to simply a story. Like, and, and 2,000 years later, you can look at it and be like, oh, like, we can talk about the story, but nobody really cares. Like, did it even happen? Like, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. doesn't really matter if it did. And even if it didn't, can we still do the pageants where the little kids dress up as donkeys and it's like so cute? Like, isn't that just at least enough value of this story, even if it didn't really happen? Like, they love getting their palm branches in Antioch kids. Like, can we just do the Palm Sunday thing, even if it's not really real? But when we disconnect from the reality of these stories, we don't understand the setting of these stories. We don't understand the context of these stories. And we miss out on something so powerful that Jesus is revealing to us in kind of this obscure sounding story of Jesus riding into town on a donkey. This is actually one of the few stories that's told in all four gospels. Jesus on a donkey, like of all things, right? Like there's incredible miracles that aren't in all four accounts of the gospel, but the donkey made it. You know, we can think of this story, we can look back on this story, especially a cute one like this where Jesus is on a donkey. And uh, we can kind of start thinking about it and, and processing it and listening to it sort of in the context as if we were like, as if when we read the Bible, we're sort of reading a novel. And at this point in the novel, the author thought that it'd be really neat if the protagonist like came riding into town on a really cute little donkey and like everybody started singing like Belle at the beginning of Beauty and the Beast. And it's just like, yay, Jesus is here. Like, wouldn't that be amazing if that's how my novel went? Like, that's kind of how we can read this story. But the truth about this story is that it is not nearly that cute. 
It's really not nearly that cute at all. Today, Palm Sunday begins what we call Passion Week. Jesus' last week of his life where he is crucified. At our Good Friday on service, we're going we're gonna to celebrate that Jesus was crucified. And the next Sunday, uh, right here back in this room, same time, same place, we're going to celebrate Easter where, spoiler alert, he raises from the dead. We celebrate his resurrection. Good Friday, we celebrate the crucifixion. Big deal. Easter, we celebrate resurrection. Big deal. Palm Sunday, celebrate riding on a donkey. What's the big deal? Palm Sunday, actually, in all reality, is the tipping point in so many ways of Jesus' life and his ministry. It wasn't just some event that an author put into place so that the protagonist would look cute. It's not even something Jesus did to look cute. And it's not something that Jesus did on accident. It didn't catch Jesus off guard, the response of the crowd, and then what would happen over the next few days. It didn't catch him off guard. It was actually really intentional and really purposeful. It was his announcement to the world, unashamed, throwing the doors off, saying, I am the Messiah. And it was this claim that got him crucified. This is the moment that catalyzed him being killed. I wanna talk about some of this context, some of this background, some of this lead up to this story so we can understand what Jesus is trying to tell us. We don't get the exact time frame, but uh, you can pretty much assume that within like a week or two before this day where Jesus rides in on a donkey, there's actually another resurrection that Jesus is a part of. It's not his resurrection, but it's referenced in our text that we read this morning, the resurrection of Lazarus, a dear friend of Jesus. He dies, Jesus comes four days later and calls him out of the tomb and Lazarus comes and he's alive. It's not fair to just give that much of an overview of the story, but it's in John chapter 11, one chapter away tomorrow. You can read it for yourself. I promise it's right there. So Jesus raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. And if you know much, know, if you know much about Jesus' life, you know that his ministry, he was really contentious with a lot of the religious leaders of the day. They're the ones who ended up really wanting to crucify him, and they never got along. And it was actually his raising of Lazarus from the dead that got them to the point where they finally decided, not only do we not like this guy, not only do we wish he would be quiet, but it's time to kill this man. In 11.53, John 11.53, it says this about the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Says, it says, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. And they didn't keep these plans secret. Jesus actually knew that this was now the plan. It goes on in the next few verses to say Jesus stayed away from these guys. He knew that they were trying to kill him. So, that happens within the last week or two. John 12, this riding on the donkey, it happens during a feast called Passover in the city of Jerusalem. The religious leaders knew that Passover was coming. Passover, if you don't know anything about Jewish culture, huge deal. It's a massive week-long festival and feast where the Jewish people would celebrate when God set them free from being slaves in Egypt, but it was also a celebration of looking forward that Jesus or that God had set us free from slavery in Egypt, but he will send another Messiah who will set us free from everything else. So they're celebrating the past, but they're also desperately looking forward to the future. And they've been doing this for hundreds of years, holding on to this hope that our God is alive, he hasn't come yet, but God is going to send somebody to get us away from all of this oppression and the Jewish leaders knew Passover is coming and just like any other person around everybody swarms to Jerusalem for Passover so they know Jesus will be in Jerusalem soon and so uh, just like everybody else they actually start spreading the word around town Jerusalem they say would swell to up 
up to 10 times its normal population. Like, Super Bowl's got nothing on Passover. Like, it's funny, but seriously, think about that. Like, they build stadiums for one game. It's got nothing on Passover. Like, this is intense. Everybody comes to Jerusalem. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem, and we want to kill Jesus. And they actually start spreading the word around town. When Jesus shows up, they say in, in, in 11, they say, uh, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Like, of course Jesus is coming. And 1157 says this, now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders, so they start spreading the word, that if anyone knew where Jesus was, they should let them know so that they might arrest him. They're essentially putting a bounty out on Jesus' head in Jerusalem, 10 times more people than normal. This is the moment that Jesus is stepping into. So that's a few weeks leading up to our text today. If you read the beginning of John chapter 12, there's another famous story where uh, Jesus is in a town called Bethany, really close to Jerusalem. He's having dinner with some of his friends, including this friend Lazarus, who he raised from the dead So uh, not, not too long ago. They're having dinner, and one of Lazarus' sisters named Mary comes and does something really famous where she pours out all this perfume on Jesus' feet and wipes with her hair, and it's this amazing, beautiful moment, another famous story uh, that we're gonna sort of brush over, but you can read on your own. So this is another massive moment. And if you look at that, what she was doing, she was anointing Jesus for his death. She didn't know it, but prophetically, she's anointing Jesus for his death. It's a big moment. And that's in John chapter 12, one through nine, or one through eight, sorry, one through nine. And one through, and in verse nine in chapter, chapter 12 says that when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. So now people, everybody's in Jerusalem, but they hear they're in Jerusalem for Passover. Like this is a big deal. This is why you travel all these ways. But just down the street, Jesus is having dinner. And not just Jesus who raises the dead, but the guy he rose from the dead is there. We all gotta go see this. So people start leaving Jerusalem and going to Bethany. And verse 10 says, so the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing Jesus. On account of Jesus, or Lazarus being raised from the dead, so many people started to believe in Jesus. So not only are they needing to kill Jesus at this point, but things are so tense that they're saying, we need to kill his friends as well. They're out for blood. And that is what John is communicating in such an innocent-sounding verse that we started our text off with this morning, John 12, 12, the next day. All of that happens. This is the moment. This is the tension. This is the context. And the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, who had been going out to Bethany, who had been turning and following to Jesus, who had been hearing, if this man ever comes to town, make sure you tell everybody in charge so they can arrest this man. They heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is packed with 10 times its normal population. An entire ethnic nation awaiting a promised Messiah by celebrating an annual feast that celebrates God's faithfulness in the past, that looks towards God's faithfulness in the future. They're expecting this Messiah to come liberate them from all of this oppression, which recently took on the face of the Roman Empire. And now, because the Romans knew this feast was happening and what this feast was looking forward to, this was the time of year where not only Jerusalem was packed, 
with people who were celebrating the feast, but it was packed with Romans who sent the, the biggest political and military presence of the whole year during this week to let everybody know who's waiting for this Messiah. We're ready for a fight. If your God really comes through and this Messiah really shows up, we want to remind everybody who's really in charge. And here comes Jesus riding on a donkey, the controversial teacher and healer and preacher with a growing band of followers that claimed him to be the son of God, this awaited Messiah riding on a donkey through the gate of the city. The religious leaders watching, wanting to kill him. The Romans ready for a fight. And the crowd goes wild. Hosanna means God saves. A throng, thousands, potentially tens of thousands strong. God saves. God saves blessed is he. Not theoretically, not one day, pointing to this man. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel, our king. Can I tell you this morning that God always comes? Can I tell you this morning, God always comes like Hosanna, God saves. They got that part right. Palm Sunday is a celebration that God saves. God always comes. I don't know what you're waiting on this morning. I don't know what it is that you're carrying this morning or what it is that you're longing for this morning. But Palm Sunday, above everything else, is a celebration that Jesus always comes. Jesus is coming. Hosanna, God saves. Today is a good day. Jesus is alive, he is good, and he is here. Somebody say amen. Touch a neighbor and tell him, here comes Jesus. John 12, here comes Jesus. And the crowd shouts, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And five days later, the same crowd shouts, crucify him. Crucify him. They celebrate him on Sunday and they crucify him on Friday. What happened? Well, they celebrate him on Sunday and they crucify him on Friday because Jesus came just like he said he would. But it wasn't what they expected. And celebration turned to crucifixion. See, they went crazy on Sunday because this Messiah, this king, he was supposed to come and throw down the Romans. But instead of spending his week raising up an army, and coming into town on a big steed of war, he actually spends his week flipping over their tables in the temple and telling them to pay their taxes to Caesar. Jesus is who they need. Really, Jesus is exactly who they want, but Jesus is different. Jesus is different. He's different than they expected. Sometimes I can respond like these people. I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but sometimes we can spiral, wondering why God didn't do what he said he would do when the reality is that God did exactly what he said he would do. It just wasn't what we expected. It was different. 
We get so frustrated with God, so discouraged. We can get so offended. We can get so disappointed. We can get so confused like this crowd. We have questions and we say, God, why did it have to be like that? God, why didn't you do what you said you would do? Why did it have to go down like that? Why did it have to hurt like that? Why didn't it happen the way I thought it was going to happen? Why didn't you stop that? And we start questioning God. We start questioning his faithfulness, his character, his plan. And I just want to tell you that some of these questions are super legitimate. There's a difference, though, between asking God questions and questioning God. Are you questioning God? Are you questioning God because he didn't do what he said he would do? Or are you questioning God because he didn't do what he said you, he would do the way you thought he would do it? Did he do exactly what he said? It was just different than you expected. See, Jesus, Jesus didn't come into town. He didn't come as the Messiah. He didn't come um, exactly the way that everybody necessarily appreciated him coming. It wasn't that appreciated that he came on a donkey flipping tables, telling them to pay taxes to Caesar. They, they would have appreciated him coming in a different way, but I'm thankful that Jesus didn't come the way that they appreciated. He came the way they needed. I want to tell you this morning, God may not come in a way that you appreciate, but he's coming just how you need him. He's coming just how you need him. And, and I want to just take a few minutes this morning to preach something that may not be very appreciated, but I believe it's what we need if we're going to live free. If we're actually going to live in this freedom, Jesus came the way they needed to be free, even though it wasn't what they wanted. And I just want to share something this morning that, uh, that, that might be offensive, but I believe it's going to set us free if we can receive it. God doesn't have to do things the way you want him to do them. It's like, uh, okay, some people say amen, and get, the people saying amen are like, yeah, amen. Like, I've been there. <laughs> like, it doesn't make it fun, it doesn't make it easy, but it is still true. Like, God doesn't owe you living up to your expectations. God doesn't have to live inside the boxes of your previous experiences or even your current opinions. God is not required to make sure that you always understand and are comfortable with what he is doing, how he is doing it, and what your part to play is in it. God's not obligated. God actually, when he comes into town, he shows up into this crowd, and there's actually three different responses. Some people are really excited, some people are really angry, and some people are really confused, which means God can show up into your life, and you might get excited, you might actually get angry. You might just be confused but it's still God. See, something I've learned and something that I'm continuing to learn is that the first step in dealing with God doing things differently than the way I expect him to do them or would prefer him to do them is to understand that what God is doing doesn't revolve around me. Can I be honest in church? <laughs> like, it sounds ridiculous as a preacher to stand up here and say, it's shocking how much I'm realizing I expect what God's doing to revolve around me. And when it doesn't, I get kind of upset. Don't get me wrong. God, God loves me and God loves you. God loves you so much. He, he is for you. He knows you. He cares for you. And as much as his plans include you and they will bless you, his plans are not really about you. <laughs> you should see what it feels like saying stuff like this. <laughs> the paradox of this gospel this Jesus riding into town on a donkey is the simultaneous reality that, it is, that he is doing absolutely simultaneously what is best for you, and that is because it revolves around him. 
What God's doing is not best for you because it revolves around you. It's best for you because it revolves around him. So yes, God's plans for your life are best for you. They're for you to prosper, but they are about him. And that's why it works. See, we get distracted when things are different because we have a distorted view of the destination of our lives. If I could just kind of try to explain what I'm trying to say there, Jesus understood that the destination of his life was resurrection. The destination of his life wasn't the approval of everybody who heard what he did. The destination of his life wasn't the palace. The destination of his life wasn't living up to everybody else's expectations. The destination of his life was resurrection, which meant that when death came, it still hurt. It still hurt, but it didn't derail him. When his friends ditched him, it still hurt, but didn't change his destination. When Peter denied him, it still hurt, but he didn't have to doubt who God was, what God was doing, or what he was sent to do. It still hurt, but it didn't change the destination. See, in about five days, actually, I'm really encouraged by this story. A few days later, in about five days, Jesus is in a garden in the middle of the night, alone, so stressed out and anxious about what's about to happen. He's sweating blood, crying out to God, I don't want it to go like this. I don't want it to be like this. I don't want it to feel like this. If there is any other way, let's do that. But if not, I'm in. It's not about me. It was all about him, but it wasn't about him because the destination was resurrection. And I'm telling you this morning that in Christ, death is not the destination of your life. Death is not the destination of your life. And what I mean by that is that the purpose of your life isn't just to live for a moment, to live for a fleeting moment, live for this moment, live for this life. It's not just that. It doesn't revolve around your desires. Your life doesn't have to revolve around your desires. Your life doesn't have to revolve around your immediate preferences, your limited understanding of what life is like, of who God is, of what God is doing. None of those things are a problem. We're all human. We've got all those limitations. It's just not about those things because death isn't the destination. This isn't all over just when we die. So let's not just live for up to that point because once we get there, we're still not at the end. I want to run this whole race. I want to get all the way to the destination. I don't want to stop at the checkpoint that everybody else stops at. See, you're here to play the long game. Where do we go from here? The long way. You're here to play the long game, which means you are here to live now in the power of Jesus' resurrection. It means now you can live free from sin. You can live a life focused on displaying and advancing this kingdom of God. It means that no matter what I face, if I face unmet expectations, if I face things that oppose my preferences, and even the loss of physical life, whether it's somebody I love or, or my, me, myself, my destination is still resurrection. In that day, on that day, on the resurrection day, I'm not going to be frustrated about what I didn't understand. I'm not going to be bitter about what didn't go the way I wished it would have gone. I'm not going to be angry about what I felt like I lost along the way. I may feel those things every day leading up to that day, but in the end, I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to be frustrated. This is mind-blowing. I'm not even going to be confused. We're going to see Jesus at the destination. We're gonna 
be with him in his resurrection. What I'm trying to say is that all of these things matter. Please don't, don't hear me say that like the good Christian never has hard things and is like, oh, everything is terrible and painful and I'm losing it all, but no, I'm not. Like, come on, I'm not saying that. You know, please, please hear my heart in that. All of these things matter. Your disappointments, they matter. Your unmet expectations, they matter. Your losses, they matter. Your pain, it matters. It absolutely matters. It's important, but it's not the main thing. And all of those things matter. But when we let them, when we let something that's not the main thing become the main thing, we get distracted. Just because it's not the main thing doesn't mean it's not a thing. Like it's a thing, but it's not the main thing. And when something that's not the main thing becomes the main thing, we get distracted. And we can miss Jesus. Not because he didn't come, just like he promised he would come, but because he came in a way that wasn't what we expected. Don't let imperfect expectations blind you from God's perfect faithfulness. Something that is so interesting to me about this whole story is that the, the very thing that put all these different groups of people in conflict, the thing that made the religious leaders internally ready to kill this man, Jesus, the things that confused his disciples, the thing that made this crowd go crazy on Sunday and crucify him on Friday, the thing that created all this turmoil in them, the thing that they were responding to that made them react in all these sort of ways was actually God being exactly and perfectly faithful to everything they had ever been told and everything they had ever believed. And it makes me wonder, okay, Lord, is there anything I'm frustrated with you about that is actually the evidence of your perfect faithfulness? I'm not saying it applies to everything, but he's always faithful. <laughs> I do know that. I don't want to get distracted and miss Jesus when he comes just like he said, because I'm telling you this morning, we celebrate Palm Sunday because Jesus comes. Jesus comes. He always comes. And it may feel like John 12, 11, and you're still waiting on the next day Jesus came to Jerusalem but I'm telling you, Jesus comes. Palm Sunday comes. Palm Sunday, we don't celebrate just the fact that Jesus rode on a donkey because that's cute. We celebrate the fact that Jesus rode on a donkey because that's exactly what he said he would do. He did exactly what he said he would do in the face of a city that was gonna crucify him in five days. Leaders that were ready to crucify him on that day and a whole nation ready to fight him what everybody was shouting about him. I'm telling you, nothing's gonna hold Jesus back from doing exactly what he promised to do in your life. Nothing you're afraid of, nothing you don't understand, nothing you've been discouraged by, nothing you've been disappointed by, nothing anybody said to you, nothing that anybody told you you weren't worth, nothing is gonna stop Jesus from coming into town just like he said he would. But it might not be exactly how you expect I want you to stand up this morning as we get ready to close. As we close, I wanna invite the Holy Spirit to start highlighting some things in our life that we might need to lay down this morning on the road of Jesus coming. The story says that the, the people who were so excited about Jesus coming, they started taking palm branches and their, coaches and their coats and laying things down on the road. And I wonder if we might need to pave the road because I'm telling you, Jesus is coming Jesus is coming. 
And it might be time to lay down some things that might distract us from how Jesus is coming. I believe that, honestly, I think in this moment, God's going to start highlighting some things that you're currently frustrated about, that if you lay down the frustration, you might see his faithfulness. If you lay down an unmet expectation, you'll see that he's been doing exactly what he promised that he would do. I want to believe this morning that we have the opportunity, that we have the power in the grace of God to take off these things that have been covering us and lay them down. And these things that have been covering us with disappointment, with shame, with sin, with pain, that if we can lay it down, we just might see some healing. We might just see some clarity. We might see that God is actually doing just what he promised he would do in your life. What are some things that you can take off? What are some things that you can lay down? What are some things that you can let go of this Easter season? Not only does Jesus come, but it means you can take off everything else and let him walk all over it and make it all make a little bit more sense. And even if it doesn't make sense, you still have Jesus. I'm so thankful for Palm Sunday. Is there anything you need to surrender this morning that may not be what you expected? It may not have gone the way that you preferred, but Jesus is coming. He has come, and he is here right now. Jesus is here in this room this morning. And we're gonna have people off to the side of the room like we always do, ready to pray with you. And that might be new for you just in your life or in church, but we have this prayer team aside because we believe that we wanna be people who respond to the word of God. Believe that just like Jesus, when he walked into that city, it stirred some things up. And when we hear the word of God, he stirs some things up. You may not be able to make perfect sense of it, but if God's leading you to respond in some way this morning, we don't want you to leave without getting what you need in the presence of God. We have people who are ready to pray with you. They're not perfect, but they're ready to pray. Don't do your thing alone. Don't respond to your thing on your own. And if you're here this morning, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never given your life to this man who crucified who was crucified for your sins, who rose again to give you life. Today, you can give your life to Jesus. And you can take your first step of laying your life down and letting Jesus come in, just like he always promised he would. You've been searching, and today could be the day where you say, okay, Jesus, I'm ready to let you walk into my life and let you define things, let you take care of things, let you heal things, let you make things straight that I may have messed up or been confused about along the way. Jesus wants to walk with you today. Jesus wants to fill you with the Spirit. And if that's you this morning, I just want to encourage you to pray with me as we all pray together here in just a second. And then as we worship one more song, let's invite the Holy Spirit, all of us, into our lives right here, right now. And say, Jesus, I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to get distracted this Easter season. I don't want to get distracted in my life. I don't want to miss you coming just like you always said you would, just because it's not what I expected. I just want to believe this morning that in these next few minutes we have together, let's believe an atmosphere of faith, an atmosphere of healing, an atmosphere of breakthrough and encouragement and hope that Jesus changes everything when he walks into the room. When he walks into that pain, when he walked into Jerusalem, it changed everything. It was a tipping point that day, and I believe this Palm Sunday can be a tipping point for you. A tipping point for you where you're able to walk forward free of weights, free from things that have been holding you back, not necessarily have all the answers, but you can have Jesus who always comes even when it's not what you expect. Would you pray with me as we wrap up this morning? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are always faithful to your word. And Lord, for anybody here this morning who's never given their life to you, Lord, I I just wanna lead them in this prayer. Lord Jesus, I, I believe that you've come and you can have my life. 
You can have everything that I've ever expected or done, done well or done poorly, Lord. I just give you my life. I believe that you are my Savior, that you are the King of the world. Would you forgive me and set me free? And I want to follow you this morning. And Jesus, we all make that declaration this morning. We want to follow you. And we surrender our confusion. We surrender our expectations. We surrender even our questions this morning, right here, right now. And I'm just asking Jesus that just like you physically came into that city on that day in the face of everything that you faced, I'm asking that you would walk through the room right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. You would walk into every heart and every mind, every body and every situation. Would you bring the kingdom of God? Would you establish your kingdom in our life right here and right now? I'm asking that we'd all run freer, that we'd all run faster, that we'd all run with more life inside of us because of Palm Sunday, this celebration, this truth, this commemoration that you promised you would come and you did, just like you always do. In Jesus' name.